Hi, I'm Pastor Lori Boucher, and I want to personally welcome you to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Are you ready to study the Bible together chapter by chapter? If you go to heartstrong.life and sign up for a free membership, you will get access to the full Bible reading plan and all the bonus discipleship content that we have prepared for you. Open up your Bible and get ready to take some notes because God is going to speak to you today. Let's become heartstrong disciples together through the study of God's Word. Let's start with our memory verse, and uh, we'll get we'll get going with that. Philippians two one through four. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, building, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We're gonna jump right into the five minute summary. And um, in this particular piece, we're just going to we're going to look at a certain aspect of the chapter 20. We're doing chapter 25 today. Um, so get your Bibles ready to go. We're going to we'll, we'll go through the whole chapter. Um, but uh, this particular aspect, we're going to look at like the trustworthy. We're going to look at the trustworthiness of God's word and purpose in this chapter. And um, we're, this chapter, it's an important chapter because it closes off the life of Abraham and it shares the lineage of Isaac and Jacob, which these are three men that God gave clear and faithful instructions on how the lineage of Israel will be established. Um, so we're going to jump in and we're going to look at this, the trustworthiness of God's word and his purpose for us in our lives. So let's, well, let's read a, a short little set section of verses there. We'll come back and read this again later, but I wanted to jump into Genesis 25, uh, 21 to 23. And this is where Isaac is praying for his wife, uh, Rebecca, because they can't have children. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebecca, his wife conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And what struck me here is that before these babies were born, before these babies fall into sin, or even have their character tested, God calls out the future of the lineage of Israel through them. It's not based on their works. It's not based on their faithfulness. It is because God says it is, because God knows it should be. And for me, as, as I've worked in through, and I think you probably will agree with this, but as I've worked through the word this week, I've often wondered why God blesses, accepts, or rejects people in the Old Testament. I don't know. Again, you can, you can put in the chat, me too. Um, but I think all of us, especially as we read through Old Testament, we, we struggle a little bit with, with how God operates because it's not the way we would necessarily see um, ourselves operating. Like in the case of Ishmael, God rejects him as the lineage and accepts Isaac. 
the six sons of Keturah born to Abraham are rejected. As Rebecca is struggling with her pregnancy, God tells her, your oldest is going to serve your youngest. The natural order, the natural order that we were that we would expect um, is not going to take place there. One is accepted, the other is rejected. And I kind of come back to wondering about fairness. Like, God, how, how is that fair? Why is that fair? Why do you make those decisions? Then I fast forward and I look at the life of Jesus. We kind of see the same picture. The world is looking for natural order. We continue to look for our savior. They continue to look for their savior through things like kings and governments, money and power. And yet God introduces his son to a virgin born lowly who hangs out with fishermen and sinners and then allows God to hang with him. And God allows him to just hang on a cross in death. But in the end, we see that Jesus is God's elect. He is God's chosen one. So while I've struggled with some of the elected and rejected individuals in God and God's rationale for electing them and rejecting them, I need to look back at all of the different stories. And we're going to see this again in our scripture today, that God's word remains faithful and trustworthy. He fulfills his promises through his word. And while I don't fully understand his judgment from a human perspective, I know and I trust and I need to know and I need to trust that he's fulfilling his purposes in a divinely proper way. So why don't we start with a word of prayer and then we'll, um, we'll dig into scripture. Father God, as we come before you today, we want to come with a posture of trusting wholeheartedly in your word. We want to lean into the things that we don't understand and be okay with the fact that we might not have exact answers from a human perspective. Lord, we want to fully um, comprehend in our hearts, maybe not even in our minds, but we want to comprehend in our hearts what it is that you're trying to do in our lives and what you show us even through the Old Testament. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, that you would, through, these, through this chapter, that you would build our character, that you would build our faith, that you would build our trust in you, and that through this time together, that we would grow and we would be more steadfast in all that you've called us to do. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, so before we start the main study, the, the sources that I used were Surprise, ESV Study Bible, uh, Bible Hub Commentaries, and then I threw a few other, um, I'll, I'll share the notes at the end, but I, I threw a few other um, sermons and um, even some genealogy charts that I thought found interesting. I threw them in there under the sources section. So um, Pastor Lori, when you first set me up to do Genesis 25, I had two reactions. Here we go. Amen. One chapter, 34 verses. I don't know if you have all felt like this, but it's like you sit down for the test and you're like, oh, thank goodness. This test only has 34 questions in it. And, and then you flip it over and you're like, oh, shoot, five of these are like long form answers. So my second thought was, oh, no, 
there's several sections of genealogy with names that are hard to pronounce in this. And I was like, oh, thank you, Pastor Lori. You're, you're awesome. And uh, so as I'm going through and reading this, they're prob- you're probably going to read some names that don't resemble those written in your text, uh, that don't resemble those that I'm talking about. And your first inclination might be, hey, Rob is actually reading these in Hebrew to me. That is really cool. Thank you. Um, no, Rob will not be reading these in Hebrew. That will just be Rob like doing a really poor job at explaining or um, pronouncing the uh, the words. But thank you, Pastor Laurie, for uh, giving me a little bit of genealogy to hang out with. Yeah, that's right. So we're going to jump in um, chapter 25, verse 1. Let's go. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Joshek, Median, Midian, Ishbek, and Shura. Joshan fathered Sheba and Dedan, the sons of Dedan, were Shuram, Letshuram, and Lemiam. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephor, Hanak, Adibada, Elda. I, I read those names and I'm like, I have three daughters and just even trying to keep their names straight. I can't even imagine what was going on uh, with the moms in those spaces. Couture is like, anyways. All of these were born as the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son, Isaac, eastward to the east country. So we're going to continue from verse seven. These are the days of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age and an old man and and full of years and he was gathered um, and gathered his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamer, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife, Sarah. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lehi Roy, These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in order of their birth. Uh, Okay, here we go. So we're going to, now I feel Rob's pain reading all these names out loud. Um, Nebioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Abiel, Mibsam, Misha, Duma, Massa, Hadad, Tema, Jetur, Napish, and Kedema. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and their encampments. Twelve princes, according to their tribe. As God told him, let's remember that back a few chapters ago, God told him exactly uh, what would come from his lineage. These are the years of the life of Ishmael. 137 years, he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over all his kinsmen. The birth of Esau and Jacob. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethua, the Armenian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Armenian to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. 
and the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebecca, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. They each had a favorite. Esau sells his birthright. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went this way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. Thank you, Pastor Lori. Isn't this amazing? Like these, we got her to read through all of those tough spots for me. Just as we kind of read at the end of that first part of the chapter, we saw that um, as he sent, he sent out Ishmael, and now he's kind of he's kind of established what the um, the future of his um, of his tribe is going to look like, and it's going to be in the way of Isaac. So, it, one of my personal observations in this little piece here, and this is not like a deep, you know, scriptural like a significant piece, but I think it's a really interesting observation for those of us who um, at some point or that we're kind of getting to that stage where we want to pass things on to our kids. Um, he took us, he made clear about what his inheritance was before he was gone. And his, his wishes were communicated in a very clear and succinct way. Um, he was very generous with his, with his kids, all of his kids, but he was very clear that Isaac was going to be the one that he was going to pass this on to. And I thought that this was interesting, um, even for us to think about, that's really not the way our culture works so much. We wait till, you know, everybody passes away and then we find out how this whole thing gets divided. And I thought that was a, an interesting perspective as we look at how in those days they handled blessings while they were still alive. Um, so then we went on to verse seven and we're, and Laurie, Pastor Laurie, you just read this really well, that he's 175 years. He dies at a good old age. And when I look at uh, the final stages of Abraham's life, I, I loved the language that was used. And it, it says he died at a good old age, an old man full of years, and he was gathered to his people. And this was a direct fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham in chapter 15, verse 15, where he said, for you, you shall go into your father's peace, 
and you should build you shall be buried at a good age this is inspiring to me like he didn't say he was resentful or remorseful it didn't say he longed for more like he was at the end he was 175 years old and he lived a full life and yeah, I guess one of the questions I had for myself as I read this, like, what does fullness mean? Like, what does it mean to live a full, full life? And um, I saw Lise on the call uh, as, as we were logging in here. And Lise, last week uh, in the Thursday night session, uh, you jumped on right at the end. We were just commenting that you were there in the morning and then you were there at night. And you said to all of us, I love the word. and the you just I could tell that you were so full because you had been participating in the understanding of God's word. And you said to us, I will do this till my very last days. And that was a real encouragement to me, Lise. Thanks for sharing that, because I think that that's part of the fullness of God that we want to have as we live our lives out. I also wanted to just make a note here that both Ishmael and Isaac um, both came in to bury Abraham together. And I think that this shows us something. It shows us that despite Abraham rejecting Ishmael for the inheritance, Ishmael still respects his father. And I think that says something to us. Sometimes we have to make hard decisions. Sometimes we have to um, be clear about our purposes and they're not going to make everybody happy. But we could also, but out of that, we could also have clear respect and clear appreciation for each other. And the fact that Ishmael came back, uh, he respected his father, and the brothers together were reconciled enough to honor their father and bury him together, I think it's very meaningful. And I think for those of us leading in our families, this would be a, a legacy piece that we might want to just always remember. Like, wouldn't it be beautiful if our family comes back together in a united and reconciled way and in a way that brings honor to the family and honor to those that have passed? So the next five verses um, explain the genealogy of Ishmael. We'll just kind of skip through that. And then in verse 16, um, it talks about the sons of Ishmael by their names and the 12 princes according to their tribes. And um, I, this part here was really interesting because this was really a direct answer to God's promise in Hagar in chapter 15, verse 12, where the angel of the Lord said, he will be a wild the donkey of a man, his hand held against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against his kinsmen. It uses those same words in verse 18. It says they settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all of his kinsmen. So it shows, again, the trustworthiness of God's word as this angel had come before um, Hagar and proclaimed this over her son. Again, we see it fulfilled in, um, in this particular verse here, which establishes what we were talking before about the trustworthiness of God's word and the faithfulness of um, him to complete his word. So we're going to jump now into the birth of Esau and Jacob. If you don't mind, I'm going to read back through this section again, because this is really important for us to just fully grasp as we, as we move into the last part of this chapter. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel 
of Aramean Padaram and the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted her this prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. One will be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the, uh, the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all of her body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. His name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Isaac was a skillful hunter, the man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in the tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So in verse 22, when Rebekah calls out to the Lord, why is this happening? The Lord says to her, two nations are in your womb and two people from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other and the other shall serve, the, the older shall serve the younger. Um, Esau's, as they're born, Esau is first and Jacob's just hanging on to Esau's heel. Jacob's name means surplanter or deceiver or someone who seizes or usurps. Esau grows into this strong, rugged man, a hunter who loves the game of the field. Jacob, on the other hand, was quieter and often referred to as a plain man. And when I, was, when I read the words plain man, I didn't really know what that meant, but it meant that he liked to hang around in the camps. He liked to um, spend time with the elders growing in knowledge. He loved business and education. And I think he also became a pretty good cook, right? Um, each of these brothers had like very different dispositions in, in, in how they were born, even in the womb, and they had very different destinies. Um, the struggle in the womb was a, pre, a prelude really to their future story. And so we'll just step into like, we've looked at now, now they, now we see Esau coming in in the verses that we had read. And we see that he is hungry and he wants to get something to eat. And our domesticated Jacob is cooking this amazing stew and he's, and Esau's famished. And Jacob sees this opportunity to exchange a bowl of stew for the family birthright. And the birthright means that it's the right to be recognized as the firstborn. It's, a di it's different than the blessing itself. It's just the recognition that you're, you are now the firstborn in your family. You, have, you, will, you will be set up to receive the blessing. And Jacob, he's a student. He's been around the elders. He understands that this birthright is valuable. Passages like Deuteronomy 21.17 and 1 Chronicles 5 tells us the birthright, birthright involved both a material and a spiritual dynamic. The son of the birthright, the son the birthright received was a double portion of the inheritance, but also he became the head of the family and the spiritual leader um, upon the passing of his, of his father. So remember, while Jacob was in the womb, God had shared with Rebecca that the older would serve the younger. And it's very, very likely that Jacob was aware of this revelation and was looking for a way to make it happen. Um, doesn't this make you um, 
kind of think back to Abram, Sarai, and Hagar. Like God speaks, and then we try to figure it out in a human way to, to help God out. So Jacob might be like, oh, this is supposed to happen. How am I going to make it happen? And so as a, as a quiet man, he would have had great interest in spiritual leadership. He might have even felt some of the weight, knowing this, to carry on the family lineage. But he would have been alive with Abraham and would likely have heard about the covenant God had made with Abraham firsthand. So Jacob in this moment would have seen an opportunity and he took it. Now, um, the Bible doesn't clearly state that Jacob knew about what was about this promised inheritance, but his close relationship with Rebecca would lead us to believe that this is a very probable observation. So I'll just jump back to Esau for a second. This chapter ended with the words, Esau despised his birthright. He was happy to exchange the, the temporal urge for a hot meal for the inheritance of his father. And after he'd eaten, he rose and walked away, not thinking twice about it. God knew before these twins were born, who would have the Abrahamic covenant and who would be the one to carry it to the next generation. It's clear by these last few verses that while Esau was the oldest and eligible for the inheritance, he was more interested in satisfying his hunger than living as the firstborn heir of his father. So as we wrap up this chapter, I'd love to just take a, look, a really practical look at how these verses might guide our own, our own, um, our own faith journey. And uh, one of the things that I thought about is spiritually speaking, how many of us, like Esau, are not paying proper attention to our inheritance. So Ephesians 1, 11 through 14 says, in him, we have obtained an inheritance. We have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to praise his glory. In him, you also, when you've heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Like according to these verses, we have every spiritual blessing. We have the blessing of being chosen in Jesus. We have the adoption into God's family. We have the complete acceptance by God in Jesus, redemption from our slavery to sin. Uh, we have true and total forgiveness, the riches of God's grace, the revelation and knowledge of the mystery of God's will, and eternal inheritance, the guarantee of the indwelling of the spirit. Um, that was Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. I love this, uh, Joe, and Andy states this, and I'll, I'll paraphrase, paraphrase how he phrases this. How often do we think and act like Esau? We think little of our inheritance in Jesus Christ and are driven by our appetites, our passions, and our cravings instead of by Christ, his word, and his spirit. This is why Paul exhorts us saying, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immortality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. I loved this little piece because it helped me understand and it helped me look at the life of Esau and recognize that there are pieces of me that are like Esau. I get caught up in new and shiny things. I get caught up in all of these other things in life that 
are not rooted in what God wants us to be rooted in. And I think this is a great calling for us to um, consider what he has before us. So um, I'll share an observation, then I'll have two questions for us to consider before we leave. The first is an observation. And I shared this at the beginning. God is faithful and his word is true. So we might struggle with his purposes, especially as we study the Old Testament, and it may not seem fair or just in our eyes. Um, But we can see in the example of Jacob and Esau that God knew well in advance what needed to happen for the lineage of Israel to succeed. He predestined it. And now we look back and see his faithfulness and provision. It needed to go through Jacob. It didn't, it, it shouldn't have gone through Esau, but at the time, even in their womb, we did not see that. We did not know that but God called it out. And so my observation in this is that our faith and our future are built by looking at God's faithfulness in the past. We need to go back and we need to look at these scriptures to understand that God is faithful and that he is trustworthy. This is what gives us the strength to look forward and to embrace the promises that he has for us. And then there's two questions. We know that Abraham lived a full life. I loved how this, how this story talks about um, the fullness of what he lived. But when we're on our deathbed, what would a full life look in Christ look like? Like what specific steps would I need to take today to end up with that at the end of my life? What specific steps would I need to be taking today or even thinking about today, thinking about taking today? And I would just be courageous, share some of these steps with somebody. The second question that I have is um, Esau was undisciplined and driven by his passions and craving. And in the end, he literally traded a bowl of stew for his inheritance. What worldly passions and cravings do I have or do we have that we are trading for our inheritance with Jesus? So those would be the two questions that I would leave us with today as we consider, like, what steps do we need to take to live intentionally towards living out a full life in Christ. And then the second thing is what worldly passions, cravings, or appetites are we trading for inheritance of Jesus? Let me just pray. Our Father in heaven, these words are so applicable in our lives today, where we are inundated with the noise of the world. We're inundated with new opportunities and new things that we can look at, but The things of the past and the things that are trustworthy, Lord, um, are where we need to stay rooted. And it's so easy to get confused by where our priorities should be. So I thank you for everybody that's on this call today, as we are all trying to stay rooted in the things that are most important. Lord, help us to be faithful in what you've given us. Help us to be faithful. clear about what our inheritance is. We know what it is in you, but you've also given us an earthly inheritance. Help us to be clear about what that is. Help us to look at our legacy and recognize that the legacy that we are leaving here on earth through our families and through our relationships is important to you. Help us to do that well. And Lord, help us to stay um, focused. Help us to make decisions on the things that bring us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for today's Bible study. 
Don't forget to visit heartstrong.life to access our daily blog for even more encouragement. Visit the Heartstrong shop with all kinds of awesome merch like hoodies, t-shirts, and mugs to remind you of this awesome journey of discipleship that you are on. Log in to heartstrong.life to access all your member content, resources, and downloads. We have live Bible studies for adults, students, and a Bible boot camp for kids. Let's become heartstrong disciples together.